We'll hear argument next in Clark versus Arizona. Mr. Goldberg. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Eric Michael Clark was denied his 14th Amendment right to a fair trial. Arizona law defined the cognitive elements of first-degree murder as requiring proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Eric Clark intentionally and knowingly shot and killed a police officer in the line of duty. The State of Arizona was permitted to offer facts to circumstantially prove these mental and essential requisite elements of mens rea. Under the rule espoused by the Arizona Supreme Court in State v. Mott, as we have been calling it, the Mott Rule, this evidence as offered by the defense, both in lay testimony and expert testimony, was arbitrarily, categorically excluded as a rule of evidence that's unsupported by any valid State purpose. In this case — It was excluded with respect to mens rea, but, of course, all of the evidence came in with respect to the insanity defense. It came in, yes, Mr. Chief Justice, as to the insanity defense, but could only be considered if Eric knew right from wrong. It could not be considered because of the peculiar uh, adoption of an uh, amendment to 13502, which is the Arizona insanity statute, that eliminated consideration of the nature and quality of his acts. Is the State telling us, I know we've asked the State when they argue, but is the State telling us that it has defined intent in a particular way for this, so that intent is just uh, having the purpose to cause the result? If they were — And and therefore that this testimony is irrelevant. Is is that the State's argument as you understand it? As I understand the State's argument, they are adopting what Justice Ginsburg wrote in Montana v. Egelhoff that the State, by uh, enacting this rule, has made this a substantive choice to make evidence of mental illness irrelevant. However, Arizona did not do that, and Arizona did not argue that below. Below, Arizona argued repeatedly that Eric Clark knew this was a police officer, that Eric Clark intentionally shot a police officer. On appeal, they argued the same thing. In the appellate de- decision in this case, by the Court of Appeals of the State of Arizona, the State I, — I raised a challenge to the sufficiency of the evidence in addressing that issue. And um, this is in the Joint Appendix at — if I could have one moment — begins on page three thirty of the joint appendix. Um, three thirty six and proceeds through the court's discussion of the sufficiency of the evidence in paragraph seventeen. The court concluded that there was sufficient evidence from which a reasonable finder of fact could conclude, and it states reasonable inference thereupon that Clark knowingly and intentionally shot Moritz and knew that he was a police officer when he did so. There's repeated references that the Arizona Court of Appeals did not understand that Arizona had somehow, by adoption of the Mott Rule, decided to redefine the crime of first-degree murder. And as we point out in our opening brief, they could not constitutionally do so. Well, well do you take that? What, what do you make of the very name that the <clears throat> state gave, not Acquitted by reason, not 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 guilty by reason of insanity, but 
guilty, except insane. Guilty of what? Guilty of the charge. And the charge is first-degree murder. So even if insanity is found, apparently that's defined to be guilty of the charge, except insane, therefore not subject to criminal punishment. That's correct, Justice Ginsburg. However, guilty of the charge based on the state's evidence without any consideration of the defendant's evidence. In this case, we offered 16 lay witnesses and their testimony in addition to the experts. And I want to point this, make this point clear. The state wants you to believe that this issue only involves psychiatric expert testimony. It does not. And it involves lay fact evidence just as in any trial. But these 16 lay witnesses talked but the about lay, I'm sorry, that was my question. These lay, lay witnesses still talked about his mental state, correct? That's correct. But, but the trial judge ruled under Mott that he was precluded from considering all mental health evidence, all evidence of mental disease or defect on the issue of mens rea. So even though it was admitted, and there's no quarrel here that all of the evidence that we sought to present was admitted, it was not considered by the trial judge. He could not, because the Mott rule itself is categorical. And I quote from the Mott decision as follows. Arizona does not allow evidence of a defendant's mental disorder short of insanity, either as an affirmative defense or to negate the mens rea elements of a crime. That states all evidence, and the trial judge understood it to mean that, and that's the way it is applied. Well, in what they have here, the, what the SG says, which seemed right to me, and I would like you to explain why it wasn't, is that as far as the sanity defense is concerned, that everyone in Arizona agrees that you consider whether he knows right or wrong in respect to this act. Thus, if he thinks the truck driver is an alien or he thinks he's an animal, and has a serious mental problem in knowing what's going on, that comes right in, as it did here, because it's relevant to whether he knew it was right or wrong to shoot this person. And therefore, once I read that, I thought there is not, at least in this case, a question of whether the insanity defense is complete, because it is. Everything that you wanted to introduce was introduced, and indeed, it was considered properly under the insanity defense. And if you had convinced the jury, you would have, or the, I guess, the jury, you would have won on that. Now, uh, am I, what's wrong with what I've just said? There is a, a distinction between nature and quality of one's acts and knowing whether an act is right or wrong. And the states and the United States' position here is not supported by the history of the development of McNaughton, nor the ALI version of the model penal I'm interested in Arizona, remember. I'm not. What I'm interested in is whether if you said, Judge, I am going to prove the following. My client knows right from wrong in general, but he thought that the truck driver was a wild animal. And that delusion meant that he is so insane he could not have formed the necessary intent. The judge replies, you can bring that in, because if he thought the driver was a mental, was a wild animal, he did not know right from wrong in respect to this killing. Now, is that what happened? No, in effect. Or did the judge say you may not introduce that evidence because it is not relevant? 
No, uh, Justice. The trial judge ruled that we could offer the evidence because we were not before a jury, and the judge was the trier of fact. And he stated so uh, that he would separate out for himself what he could consider and what he could not. And his verdict in this case on the guilty acceptance saying focused only on whether Eric knew right from wrong. In this case? In this case. Well, fine. So then what is, would, if he thought it was a wild animal, then he would not have known right from wrong in respect to killing that individual. But that is not the state's point or, nor the United States government's point in this case. Is their, their point is that the former is subsumed in the latter. In other words, it makes no difference. But the Arizona court the Arizona Supreme Court, in a state court decision, State versus Chavez, indicated otherwise. Well, I guess, I guess the, the question is, what is your point? And I, I have the same question as Justice Breyer, and I'd just like to pursue that. Uh, if a case, a hypothetical case, is uh, one in which the uh, second prong of McNaughton, knowing the difference in right and wrong, uh, gets to the question of his capacity to, f- to form an intent, isn't that sufficient? I think that's Justice Breyer's question. It would if, if Arizona allowed consideration of that evidence, and it does not at all. Yeah, but but allows, let's, it let's assume that it can consider the, the evidence as to, on the right and wrong prong. The right and wrong uh, is the hypothetical state. In a hypothetical under the right and wrong aspect of McNaughton, but not under the nature and quality of the act. And your question is whether why that isn't sufficient to answer your contention that his intent is not uh, is, is, it has not been subject to question. Because first of all, it is not offered and is not considered to de- specifically determine whether it rebuts an inference that the state has raised on a factual point key to their case. Secondly, the nature and quality is not a consideration in Arizona. Even if it was, and I can point this out by an example that gets to what Justice Breyer was saying. If a person is, is, is squeezing a lemon, and this is a common example in law school, and it turns out to be his sister, he knows in the abstract that a person killing a person is right or wrong. He knows it's wrong. But he does not know that squeezing a lemon is wrong. In this case, if Eric Clark's evidence showed that he believed the police officer was an alien and there was substantial evidence in the record to that effect, and I specifically would point you to, to page 39 in the Joint Appendix, where the, uh, where the expert testified that Eric had a heightened fear of police. Because well, I'll, I'll look at McNaughton. I, I had thought it was whether or not the action was right and wrong, whether rather than the than the, than the moral command was. That is correct. That is correct, Justice Kennedy. Then what, what you're do? saying, if I understand it, is that when the Arizona statute refers to whether or not the criminal act was wrong, the criminal act that they are referring to, on your view, is the act of intentional killing, period. And if that's what they mean, then it is irrelevant that he thought he was killing a Martian. But if the Arizona reference to the criminal act being wrong refers to the act in this case, i.e., killing somebody you believe is a Martian, then the evidence could come in. So I think your argument, me, your argument rests on the assumption that the Arizona statute's reference to the criminal act being wrong means the criminal act in general, in the abstract, i.e., intentional killing, 
as distinct from the act of killing somebody you believe to be a Martian. Is that correct? Absolutely. That's okay. not, that's not if the, that's the end of it as well. And the Model Penal Code makes this point when they talk about their formulation, which is uh, whether a defendant appreciates the wrongfulness of his conduct. And they, in their discussions, um, had indicated, and, and these are on pages uh, 166 and 169 of the ALI comments to the Model Penal Code, that McNaughton could, under any formulation, a person could in the abstract know that killing is wrong, but could also in, in, the, in the, their subjective mental state, due to their mental disease, not know that they were killing a human being. But the Arizona court, the Court of Appeals, writes that it turns on the finding of criminal responsibility at the time of the criminal offense. It is difficult to imagine that a defendant who did not appreciate the nature and quality of the act he committed would reasonably be able to perceive that the act was wrong. Now, those words written by the Arizona court suggested to me that in the case of the lemon you're talking about, or in the case of the individual who thinks that the truck driver was a Martian, they would say he does not know right from wrong. Here, now, in this case, that it seemed to me is what the Court of Appeals wrote. That if that's what they wrote, then they don't adopt the test you're attacking. Rather, they do let the very evidence that you want to come in come in, and it is totally relevant. They would if it was not inconsistent with previous pronouncements of this very same court that although it, it, is, it, it is error to not instruct a jury on both prongs, when Arizona had both prongs, it was harm, deemed harmless error in State versus Chavez. Well, but, if it, but, not, it, but that it was error because they are distinct. They are distinct elements. And that is to suggest that a psychiatric psychosis is pervasive throughout an entire person's living. But if Justice but, Breyer's explanation is, is, is a, c- a correct statement of Arizona law, do you still have an argument that your proof should have been accepted on the first prong? Yes. And what is that argument? The argument is that the state proves circumstantially his mental state. The judge, as the finer fact, never and, and stated so in his ruling on this issue, could consider the lay testimony and the expert testimony on whether it raised a doubt, a single reasonable doubt as to the state's position. And I can point this out in, on four facts. First of all, the state sought to prove intent and knowledge. They did so by first arguing that Eric's conduct in driving around the neighborhood with the music playing loud was to lure a police officer. This is uh, in the record at on August 5th in the opening statement by the state's attorney, page 15, on August 27th uh, at page 50, and that's in the Joint Appendix at 314 in their closing argument. And your evidence to the contrary that was excluded would have showed what? That it was equally plausible that he was driving around with his music playing loud because he was drowning out the voices in his head, which were so it went to diminished mental capacity. And as I understand Arizona law, it is decided that that evidence can only be presented in the context of an insanity defense. And that is unconstitutional, Mr. Chief Justice. You First mean, of the all, these are facts. Requires a diminished capacity defense? No, not the defense. There's a, dis- a, a very Subtle but important distinction, 
between the diminished capacity defense as an affirmative defense and diminished capacity evidence. And it's, it's, it's a shame well, that — Well, if you're going to let the evidence of diminished capacity in on mens rea, you've done by, as it were, by the front door what you can't do by the back door, i.e., by a diminished capacity defense, because you're making the same point. The burdens of proof are different, but you're making the same point. Well, the burdens of proof goes to whether if we did not uh, — if we did not prevail or we, or we did prevail on the second issue, the, whether McNaughton d- allows consideration of this, whether it makes a difference. In that situation, the burden of proof is on us by clear and convincing. Right. Do, you, do you think it is unconstitutional for a state to say, we know perfectly well that it is much more difficult for both cognitive and, and, and reason, reasons and reasons of character and training and so on for some people to conform themselves to the criminal law than others. We know it's harder for some than others. But we don't care how much harder it is unless it gets to the point that we define as insanity. Because unless we require something as serious as insanity to excuse, everybody's going to have an excuse and there isn't going to be any criminal law. Is that unconstitutional? No. Okay. But isn't that what the state does when it denies a diminished capacity, says we will not have a diminished capacity defense? If it is framed as a defense, yes. But if okay. it is framed now, as simply no, lay evidence. With, with respect, isn't that also what the state is getting at when it says we don't allow diminished capacity evidence in on mens rea, which is the state's burden? Rather, we allow it in only on the defense of insanity so that we can keep it clear, clear that unless the diminished capacity is so great as to amount to insanity, it's not an excuse. And if that is what the state is doing, is there any un- anything unconstitutional about that? The unconstitutionality of that, of that uh, procedure is that the state's evidence goes uncontested. The state's, evi- the state's evidence, and this has been fundamental to prove mens rea, along with the actus, is a fundamental right of the defendant to present a defense to that. And we're talking about presenting facts, not having a psychiatrist well, it only get up goes there. Uncontested, and, uh, it only goes uncontested if the only way you're going to contest it is to show diminished capacity. You could have contested this evidence by showing that, you know, he was in a, a rock band and he wanted to play the music for, to advertise the concert, not to lure the police. There are a lot of defenses you can present. What they're saying is if it goes to diminished capacity, that has to be used to show insanity or, not, or nothing at all. But their justifications for this rule, Mr. Chief Justice, are that it's not reliable. And it is reliable evidence. Both the lay testimony and expert testimony is admitted by the state for other purposes, as well as for the defense and other purposes, and has been found reliable. Um, and this is cited in footnote 15 of, of, our, of our reply brief. Mr. Goldberg, may I ask you to clarify one thing about your argument? You say that you should have permitted, been permitted to introduce this evidence to show that this act was not the act being killable police officer was not done intentionally or knowingly. But you seem to indicate that Clark could have been convicted under the Arizona Code of some degree of murder. Am I right about that? And if so, what degree? 
Absolutely, Your Honor. Our position, in, and I stated this, in, in fact, in my opening statement um, to the Court, as well as in our motion for a directed verdict after the close of the State's evidence, was that if the Court found that the State had failed to prove, considering all the evidence, including the evidence of his mental illness, that he did not know he was killing a police officer, then he would be found guilty of second-degree murder or manslaughter. And that would be our position as to why why this is unconstitutional in part, because the State chose to define a specific crime as requiring that cognitive element that, that he knew he was killing a police officer and, and then sought was, to preclude any consideration of evidence that indicated the contrary. What was the, second, the definition of second degree? Second degree murder is defined, defined as intentional murder without premeditation. That's one form of second degree murder in Arizona. Um, now, I want to get back may, to. May I just ask if, if the proof you'd like to introduce is that the defendant considered the police officer to be an alien? Why would he have in, in any any intent? Why wouldn't your argument go as well to second degree? Because if he knew he was killing what he believed to be an a, a, a alien who had taken over a human form, then he may have known that he was killing somebody, but not that he was a police officer, because in his mind he believed that the police officer was an alien. But it doesn't go to premeditation. I think that's Justice Ginsburg's point, and, and I, I don't see why that isn't correct. It doesn't go to premeditation. No, no, Justice Scalia, but he was not charged with a premeditated murder. No, but you, you're saying you're saying he could have been charged with with second degree murder, as intentional Be, murder. because uh, what? Because the because the crime of of, of second degree murder because this is a does unique not require premeditation, and right. I don't see how this goes to premeditation anyway. Does not go to premeditation. Goes to question of whether he knowingly killed a police officer. If you take second degree murder, is includes all the elements of this particular first-degree murder statute and adds one. And that one element is knowledge and intent to kill a police officer. And that's the additional element that makes second-degree a lesser-included offense of first-degree. And the judge was precluded from considering the fact evidence in this case that indicated that Eric was delusional, that he was schizophrenic, that he was actively delusional at the time of the crime, and he believed that our town had been inhabited by aliens. All right, suppose he did. He believed there it's an alien, which is not immoral to kill an alien, let's say, if he comes from Mars. I don't know about the morality of that, but uh, I'll go with you. I'll say that. You're absolutely right about that. Now, suppose, in addition, the judge did consider that. He did consider it because he thought the person wouldn't know right from wrong if he thought this was an alien, all right, a space alien. Now, Suppose that's true, then what is the problem from a due process point of view? After all, you were able to make your claim there. The judge would have heard the evidence, and if the judge believed that that was so, he would have acquitted the individual. Does there remain a due process problem? Not if it could be considered as to go into the element, no. But that's not this case. Actually, I was... It does not go to the mental state in this case because 
Arizona law under State v. Mont precludes its consideration for that purpose, for any well, purpose other than, whether we may, other, other than whether we meet our burden of proving he is insane by clear and convincing evidence. Is it, is it your argument that it, uh, it, under Arizona law, it goes to excuse the conduct, but not whether the conduct, in fact, occurred? It does. I mean, is so it that's the way the Arizona that's your yes, argument? Yes. Well, that's the way the Arizona rule is drafted. It can go to if we can convince the trier of fact that, it, that his delusions prevent him from knowing the nature and quality of his acts, if that was actually included in our statute. But in our case, we were limited to trying to prove his delusional behavior, his delusional beliefs that, that the officer was an alien, to show that he did not know right from wrong. And that was it. And that places the burden on us, which runs counter to the fundamental pr- principles of criminal law that are set down in Winship, that it's the state's burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt every element, including this element, and not without any opportunity to defense to rebut that element. That's, that's a different question. If, in fact, it came in via the insanity defense, I guess the burden is on the defendant to prove it. Is that Correct. true? Well, if it comes in via mens rea, then the burden is on the state to disprove it. No, the burden's not on the state to disprove it, Justice. Doesn't the state have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt if it came in via mens rea that the mens rea was there? Absolutely. The burden never shifts. The state would have to show that, in fact, he was not so insane as to preclude intent. In a technical sense, yes. But as a practical matter, no, because the state would be offering all of their evidence, as they did here, to show that circumstantially he had the intent. We would be offering the evidence which is regularly accepted and is found reliable for numerous purposes in our state to show that there's a doubt as to whether he had that. And that's a completely different thing than the state attempt having, having the burden on them to disprove it, which this Court has so said in affirmative defense cases involving self-defense, for example, that the state does not have to disprove that a person was justified or had a reasonable belief for their safety, but that they, in the, in the same token, you cannot prevent the jury from considering whether that raises a doubt as to the state's case. And that is the fundamental problem, the fundamental due process violation here. If there are no further questions, I would like to reserve the rest. Thank you, Mr. Goldberg. Um, Mr. Howe, we'll hear now from you. Mr. Chief Justice, may it please the Court. The answer to both questions before this Court today, the states have the, have the uh, uh, discretion to define, in, to define the affirmative defense of authority as a policymaker see fit. And they also have the, the right to protect that definition by, as Justice uh, uh, questions uh, indicated from an, from an attack on that definition by having, having evidence of diminished uh, uh, capacity of a different, de- a different definition of insanity from coming in the back door. Well, to, to prevail, um, do you think you have to show that under prong two of McNaughton, the right and wrong prong, that the defendant can prove really everything and, in fact, did have the opportunity to prove 
everything that he seeks to prove under prong one? Uh, it's, it's, do you have to convince us of that in order to win? I, no, uh, Your Honor. There are two answers to that. The first answer is that the, the uh, McNaughton uh, definition of insanity, the heart of it, has always been the right wrong test in this court in, in Leland and I believe in Powell as well have, in, have always referred to McNaughton as the right wrong test. State courts across the country, legal, uh, uh, But it, it's clear, counsel, though, that the, the first prong of McNaughton adds something different. You don't understand the nature and quality of your acts. In other words, it would be enough if you recognized both prongs if he thought this was a, a Martian, regardless of whether he knew it was wrong to kill a Martian or not. Yeah, uh, that's correct, uh, uh, Your Honor. But as, as the, as the Lord spoke in McCartan, we don't look at the, at the, at the act in the abstract, we, as the, as the Solicitor General's brief points out in footnote 7 at page 16, that what, what the traditional McNaughton test looked at was his very, uh, uh, conduct and as the, as the Arizona Court of Appeals, uh, noted, it would be uh, it would be difficult to imagine a situation where someone would would know it's kind of it, you know, it right from wrong, but not know the nature of 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 his act. I I won't pretend that perhaps in some uh, uh, theoretical uh, hypothetical uh, uh, scenario that might you know, that might occur, but it's very difficult. Indeed, to to uh, imagine that in the Arizona uh, legislature, rationally could have, you know, could have you know, decided that they will that they will reduce the the definition to the heart of McNaughton, which is right wrong, because the the, you know, the issue of Lincoln quality will rarely, if ever. Uh, uh, come up. But, but, but I am correct in assuming that it is, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, that, that it is your position, the state's position, that under the right, wrong, wrong two part of McNaughton, and under the evidence in this case, the court was able to consider, uh, really all of the evidence that's necessary in order to meet this defendant's defense as to, as to intent. Uh. Yes, Your Honor. So, so, I, I agree with you. I'm trying to think of some theoretical case where it would make a difference. I can't quite come up with the hypothetical. And I've, you know, I've worked with this case for several months, Your Honor, and I haven't come up uh, with one either. Well, wouldn't it make a difference in a case in which an individual uh, understands, number one, as a general matter, that it is wrong to, to kill people intentionally? Uh, he also believes that there are space aliens. And he believes that it is wrong to kill space aliens. But he kills one. Under the full McNaughton test, under prong one, he would have a defense. 
But under the McNaughton test of prong two alone, since he believed it was wrong to kill Martians, he wouldn't have a defense. Isn't that right? Uh, no, uh, Your Honor, for, uh, for two reasons. So the first reason is that the heart of the McNaughton test is knowing right from wrong. And if a state in its, in its uh, uh, discretion wants to say that, those, that the state will not account for those rare cases where it might make a difference, a state could do that. The second answer, Your Honor, is as, as um, McNaughton says that uh, 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 at page uh, 723, what, what we look at when we're examining whether the, the defendant knew right from wrong is, his, is, is the very conduct that he uh, committed. Counsel, I'm, I'm puzzled about one thing. I just, maybe it's just my stupidity, but assume he thought it was a Martian. And assume he thought, does he have to think it was wrong to kill Martians? Or supposing he thinks it is not wrong to kill Martians, then what do you do? Does it matter whether he thinks it's right or wrong to kill Martians, in other words? uh, uh, My point, uh, Your Honor, is if he is not actually killing a space alien, there, there is grave doubt that he would understand his conduct and that would make rather uh, uh, meaningless at some practical level asking the question, did you know that your conduct were, uh, uh, was wrong? I'm not sure I understand the answer. Is it, does he, let me put it this way, maybe you can answer yes or no. Sure. Does he have to think it's wrong to kill Martians? No, uh, Your Honor. What he, what he has to understand is what, what he is actually doing. And if he does not actually understand that he is killing a human being, then it's, it's rather uh, academic and abstract to ask, did you know whether that, in, uh, did you know what you thought you were doing uh, uh, was wrong? But, you know, but uh, again, I, I suppose uh, hypothetically, th- there may be you know, there may be a case where that would make make a difference. But the state is clearly clearly free to recognize that that's an, an incredibly rare uh, circumstance, and that as a matter of policy, we're not going to uh, clutter up the definition of insanity with that. It could, adding that language, a policymaker could very well decide that would be distracting to a jury or a fact finder. The thing that troubles me, just then you can comment, I'm assuming it's possible they thought he didn't know whether it was a Martian or not, and that he thought he had a mission in life to kill Martians, that they're enemies, they're bad to, to come, and he wants to kill them. If that was the, what the trial court found, could he be put to death for that killing? That would raise serious Eighth Amendment uh, concerns, uh, Your Honor. Um, or could he just be found guilty of murder whatever, on, on those facts? If he, if he truly um, believed that he was 
shooting an, an alien when he was actually shooting uh, uh, a human uh, being. Uh, he would he would certainly have have a, you know, a, a very strong case for for insanity. But what what the fact finder found here was that was that his was that his his evidence, and that's what he thought he was doing. Was no, but there's a difference in the burden of proof. He has the burden of proof to get the affirmative defense or to get that in that category. Sure. I'm just wondering if he just raises a doubt. As, uh, so there's not proof beyond a reasonable doubt that he knew the person he was killing was either a human being or an, an, a kind of uh, individual that would be wrong to kill. Well, uh, if there's just a reasonable doubt on the issue, well, would he be, be guilty or not? Well, uh, uh, Your that raises the second issue that we're, that we're uh, discussing uh, today. The, in, the state, as, as I've argued, has the right to uh, define insanity as, as, it, as it sees fit. And if you, if you, if, it, if a state allows evidence that doesn't rise to the standard of, of, of insanity to come in, then, then he's able to raise whatever his personal definition of, of insanity is through the, the back door, and the state has a great interest in, in, uh, pre- in uh, preserving its definition of insanity and its ability to uh, define insanity as it sees fit by, by uh, as, as, we are as you say, it, in a way, it, in a sense, it comes in through the back door, as you say. But even coming in through the back door, if it raises a reasonable doubt as to his intent to kill, a, a, make a wrongful killing, why shouldn't it be admissible? It should not, it isn't, uh, it isn't uh, admissible. Uh, uh, your, uh, state can can. Pre- Preclude it, Your Honor, because the, the state has the depressive right to define the element of mens rea as, again, as it, as it sees fit. And it, as does that mean that it could also exclude the testimony from the lay people, the friends who t- talked about this this person's illness? Yeah. Uh, or are we just talking about the expert testimony? Uh, evidence of mental disease or defect, whether it's expert testimony or the uh, uh, testimony, does not uh, uh, come in under under my. Mr. Howard, would you explain to me how the state has proved intentional, not intentional killing, but of a police officer, if that's the charge, that he intended to kill a police officer, how does the state meet its burden on a police officer if the testimony on the other side is, I did not understand that this Human that I killed was a police officer. 
what the, what the state proved in this case, Your Honor, is that at least, you know, two weeks prior to uh, 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 the murder, he indicated a, a desire to do, uh, to do something extremely similar to what he, to what he actually did. There was testimony he had, he had an extreme dislike toward, uh, uh, Police officers on the at the time of 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 the killing, uh, Officer uh, Moritz was in was in a marked uh, uh, police car. He had a, a uniform. Uh, he turned on his lights and siren, and Clark. Uh, I see that on over. the state side. So the state has introduced evidence from which a trier could conclude he intended to kill a police officer. But he wants to introduce on the other side, I didn't have that intent. In fact, I had delusions. I thought I killed an alien. But he's not allowed to introduce that evidence to yes, count for the state's proof. Uh, as I understand what the Arizona law is. Sure. Uh, uh, what the Arizona Supreme Court uh, recognized in law was what the Arizona legislature did when it enacted its uh, criminal code and it uh, defined its, its mens rea. It defined the mens rea in such a way, uh, you know, just as you, you know, just as you explained in uh, Engelhoff, uh, Your Honor, that the that the condition of of uh, mental disease or defect does not negate the the. Uh, mens rea. So what, what the state has, what the state has to prove in general and had to prove in this specific case is the state had to prove that Clark either one actually had the, in, in, had the intent to kill a police officer at least knowing he was a, a, a police officer or killed under, or killed under uh, circumstances that that would indicate that he uh, knowing at least knowingly killed a, a police officer, but for his his uh, mental illness. It's Is this an alternative argument? So that if we accept this argument, we need not ask whether the evidence comes in under prong two, or is this complementary? to the argument that the evidence comes in under prong two. Uh, I. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to answer that, uh, 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 Your Honor. What we what we've argued, uh, you know, as far as the the first issue, is that a state is free to uh, uh, define uh, uh, insanity as as it as it sees fit under. And the most, if not all cases, or most, if not all real cases. Why, why is that, counsel? Let's suppose that 
the, one of the cases that come up is a, a language difficulty. Uh, you know, the, the, the individual maybe is not uniform, identifies himself as a police officer. Could the State have a rule that we are not going to allow evidence of language concerns, that the, the individual didn't speak English and the officer said, I'm a police officer, so he didn't know when he shot him? What, what, what is it about mental capacity that allows you to exclude that type of evidence? Uh, surely, uh, uh, Your Honor, this Court has always uh, noted that uh, evidence of mental uh, uh, disease or uh, defect is viewed quite skeptically because lawyers and psychiatrists and psychologists very often can't uh, agree on the the meaning or the value or the validity of of uh, psychiatric uh, 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 evidence. The state also has has an has an interest in uh, preventing someone who ha- you know, who there's at least a serious question of, uh, of uh, mental illness from being able to, to forego an insanity defense but raise, raise the evidence to uh, uh, negate mens rea in the hopes that he would walk free instead of being found guilty except insane and sent to the, the state hospital. There's, there's also a, a, a third uh, a policy reason that because you, because the, because the, the gross question of whether someone is insane or sane is a difficult enough uh, question. Uh, with psychiatric uh, evidence, it raises it raises the question to a whole other level of of complexity. To ask the jurors, well, if we if you find that he is sane, but he has some degree of mental illness, just what find you know just how did that mental illness affect his his ability to intend in the state as a matter of policy? It may properly say that is, you know, we're fine on that in the jury determining whether someone's insane or not, but it, it's just too complex a question to ask a jury or a judge, as in this case, to, to make fine gradations of, of, of ability and uh, 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 responsibility. Mr. Howe, one of the things that puzzled me about your position is you said under Arizona law, while this doesn't come in under mens rea, it does affect sentencing. I think you said that the, the, his mental state is properly taken into account in the sentencing. And by that, did you mean just the length of the incarceration or the place of the incarceration. Uh, 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 my, uh, my time is up. May, may you, you, you may answer. Surely. Uh, what, under Arizona law, if you have a mental illness that does not rise to the level of, of, of uh, insanity, if the, if, the, if the trial court or the, the, the jury finds that, 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 
circumstance exists by a preponderance of the evidence, and it can be found as a uh, mitigating uh, uh, circumstance that, that can, in a given case, r- reduce the, the sentence imposed. Thank you Thank very you, much. Thank you, Mr. Howe. Uh, General Clement, we'll hear now from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Arizona has decided to adopt a particular form of the insanity defense, and it has also decided to protect that substantive decision by channeling evidence about a defendant's mental capacity into an affirmative defense with the burden squarely on the defendant. Neither aspect of that judgment violates the Federal Constitution. And I think with respect to the substantive decision, there are two elements to it. First of all, Arizona wanted to streamline consideration of McNaughton and focus on the heart of McNaughton, which is the right-wrong test. But equally important, as far back as 1965, in the Chance case, where they first came up with the rule applied in Mott, they also wanted to not have a diminished capacity defense in the state of Arizona. Did the state say that it's the defendant's burden to show that it was not a police officer? I don't think the the state — could the state do that? Is that the question? I, I don't think the Because state, the next question is, why didn't they do that? Isn't that what happened here? Right. I, I don't think they could do that, and I don't think that's what happened here. And I think if you look at the evidence in he, this case, I mean, it came in in sort of a strange way, in part, I think, because it was a bench trial. But I think what the trial court did is say that all of the evidence on insanity, all of the evidence in the second phase of the case is relevant. It's all coming in. I'm going to take it into consideration, but I'm going to take it into consideration only on the insanity defense not as part of the mens rea defense. And I think that was consistent with Arizona law. What I think would be a harder question, and and, and let me just say, I think the way that this was postured for the trial court was that the petitioner argued that all of that evidence comes in for consideration of the mens rea. It seems to me that you introduced my my concern by saying that the state can put the burden of proof on the defendant, which we know is, is, is generally true in many states with reference to the insanity defense. But when you link it with mens rea, then it seems to me you have a problem. Well, I don't think so, Justice Kennedy, but you're absolutely right to say that there's this tradition with insanity, which is quite different than the tradition with respect to other elements of a crime. And I think that goes back to the common law and goes back to Blackstone. And if you look at Blackstone and you look at some of the common law cases that this Court cited in its Davis opinion, they describe murder as having several elements. One of them is obviously killing a person. One is malice of forethought. And then some of the cases treat a sound mind as a separate element. But I think if you look at the history, it's clear it wasn't a true element because the common law put the — it started with a presumption of sanity, which you couldn't have with respect to any other element, and said it was perfectly appropriate to put the burden on the defendant. And I think what the common law recognizes is the question of criminal responsibility or insanity, although it has some logical relationship to mens rea, can be separated out and can be dealt with in affirmative defense. And I think if you don't recognize the state's ability to do that, you end up allowing a defendant to basically sneak in through, as Justice Souter put it, the front door, all sorts of watered-down insanity defenses in the guise of arguments trying to negate mens rea. It, it does seem as, uh, as if the, the argument that, oh, this all comes in under, second, under the second prong means that it, there's, a, there's an, another inference. It's a, it's a second-hand argument about 
lack of, of, of mens rea. Well, and I think, Justice Kennedy, the though — second class. Sort well, of. I don't think it's second class. I think what Arizona recognized in the Schantz case and in Mott in making this rule in the context of re- rejecting the diminished capacity defense is that if you allow a defendant to argue, uh, my evidence shows that I lack the capacity to form the requisite mental state, and therefore that comes in on the mens rea case. You can make that argument in terms of any insanity defense you like. I can argue that I lack the capacity to form the requisite intent because I responded to an irresistible impulse. Well, a state that's decided to have the McNaughton insanity defense rather than the irresistible impulse defense has to be able to make the judgment, I submit, that we're going to have the McNaughton defense and we're going to keep it as an affirmative defense and we're not going to allow that, that defense that we've rejected to effectively come in through the front door and to use Justice That, that would present a serious constitutional question, wouldn't it? Or what, I mean, I, that's what I, I thought some of these questions might be in this case, but I now I doubt, I'm having doubts about that. But suppose the state so limits the defense that an individual defendant who by any ordinary psychiatric test, would be viewed as seriously insane and therefore not a person who is capable of being held responsible in any moral sense for the crime is nonetheless going to be convicted of murder. I mean, and that might become up with irresistible impulse because the person is totally insane, not like any other human being. Anyone would normally say he lacked the knowledge of, of uh, he, he's not responsible for what he does. And then the state nonetheless convicts him of murder. But, Justice Breyer, they wouldn't convict him for murder because he would qualify for an insanity defense, and somebody as insane as you know right talking. and wrong if they'd so. I mean, he, he, it's not his intellectual capacity that's wrong. It's his ability to control his impulse. Well, I, I mean. That's not in this case. I agree with you. But is a variation of that in this case, namely the variation but we've discussed that at length, and I take it you think that's not in this case. I don't think it's in this case, but I don't want to mislead you, which is I think you can hypothesize a situation where somebody would be exonerated by one form of the insanity defense and not exonerated by a narrow form of the insanity defense. And I don't think it follows that somebody that's in that margin has a constitutional right to make, make up the difference effectively through a mens rea argument. And otherwise, I think you, I mean, I, We don't have to reach that question here, in your view. Well, I think you, I, I would think that you might. I mean, I, I think you could say, because I think what happened here is all of this evidence came in on the back door through the insanity defense. But if we have to reach it, they're arguing we do, because they're saying the person is so insane, he doesn't know whether this is a human being or a sack of lemons. Now, but he said he, that they didn't consider that in the insanity defense, and he's not attacking the burden of proof at least not in this court. And so uh, do you think we do have to, that we have to assume that he's right on that? I, I don't think you have to reach that question here, but you do have to reach a related question, I think, which is, I think the trial court here very clearly in applying Mott prevented the petitioner from making a diminished capacity argument. And what is diminished capacity if it is, what is that? It's, it's an argument that is basically a variation on the insanity defense. It's partial responsibility. It was basically the governing law in California and until partial responsibility that. does not insanity. They use the words insanity and diminished responsibility. I took the word insanity to mean the kind of mental state that would in fact show a lack of intent. I took the word diminished responsibility to mean there is intent, but it's excusable. I think you can draw that distinction, but I do want to make clear that there are arguments here that you could make in a different state 
that you can't make in Arizona because of the substantive decision that we don't want to have a diminished capacity defense and we don't want to have that policy judgment frustrated by having the evidence come in through the front door. And to use Justice Souter's example. Supposing the evidence is equally divided on the question whether he thought it was a Martian who he had a right to kill, could he be convicted of murder constitutionally? I think he could, Justice Stevens. So I understand the hypothetical. You're basically would not proof beyond a reasonable doubt that he knew he was killing a human being and it was wrong to do so. Well, I think it, would de- it might depend on exactly what the statutory definition of murder in the state I, was. I don't, I'm just wondering, as a constitutional matter, if we're getting all the entry, as a constitutional matter, can a man be convicted of murder if the evidence is equally balanced on the question whether he knew it, he did anything wrong and or knew that he was killing a human being? Um, maybe not, Justice Stevens. It just depends on the way that the statute deals with it. Because in my view of the statute, if somebody really thought, if they had to kill a human being and they thought, I wasn't doing it, I was killing an alien, maybe that could come in on mens rea. But if — Have we ever held that, 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 uh, that an insanity defense is required, that a state cannot simply abolish insanity defenses? No, Justice Scalia, you have not held we- that. And I think — but equally, I don't think a state would, is required to have a diminished capacity defense. Well, is the state and, required to adopt any particular mens rea for murder? Is there a constitutional requirement as to the minimum mens rea that can be, can be set for the offense of murder? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's very difficult to find in the Due Process Clause the tools necessary to superintend those but kind of decisions. But charge — intended to kill a police officer. It could have been just intended to kill. And I think Mr. Goldberg conceded that intended to kill would have been a proper conviction, but not intended to kill a police officer unless he's allowed to counter that add-on. With, with respect, Justice Ginsburg, I think that starts to confuse the hypotheticals with the real case, because I don't think Petitioner's argument was that they had no idea that this person was a police officer and he thought he was killing an alien. I think their argument was much more one for insanity and that maybe there were other explanations for the conduct. But the, the, the psychological testimony here suggests that maybe he sometimes thought that his mother was also an alien, but he kind of knew it was his mother as well. And so I don't really think that maps up with the argument they've made. The one point I want to leave you with, though, is, as Justice Souter said, um, everybody agrees that there's no due process requirement that Arizona have a diminished capacity defense. Well, it doesn't make any sense to say that they have to have that implicitly with the burden on the state at the same time. Thank you. Thank you, General. Uh, Mr. Goldberg, you have four minutes remaining. There is a due process guarantee that a defendant can present evidence in his own defense and no matter how the Chamber's line of cases are reviewed by the Court, this Court made clear in Montana v. Egelhoff that in the absence of any valid State justification, and I'm quoting now from the uh, plurality decision, exclusion of exculpatory evidence deprives a defendant of the right basic to have the prosecutor's case encounter and survive the crucible of meaningful adversarial testing. And that — But that certainly doesn't include the right to present any evidence you want. It's the difference between — You couldn't have presented evidence that this person was, in fact, a Martian. That's correct, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, and it's not that we're asking this Court to affirmatively rule that all of this evidence comes in, just that all of it cannot be excluded per se, and that the trial judges, just as in any other type of evidence, any other fact or opinion evidence, serves as the gatekeeper under the rules of evidence to decide whether it's more prejudicial or it's more probative. But Arizona has decided only for this purpose that this evidence is inherently unreliable. 
And then they've taken it to the point where they have proven somebody guilty of murder in the first degree of killing a police officer without allowing him to raise a reasonable doubt as to whether he knew he was killing a police officer. And that specific argument was made, contrary to what the solicitor just stated, in, in my motion for directed verdict that I made in this case. Was it a reasonable question whether he knew it was a police officer or whether he knew it was a human being? Whether it was a police officer. I moved the court for a directed verdict at the close of the state's evidence and argued to the court that if he found the judge as the fact finder, then in his delusional mind, and again re-urged this at the close of our evidence, that he believed he was killing a police officer, then the court could find him guilty of second-degree murder or manslaughter. And I asked the court to do that, and the court refused to do that. So the court precluded any consideration of this evidence. I, the best I can find in that Court of Appeals opinion at the moment is that they do reject the idea of diminished responsibility on Mott, on the ground of Mott. That's true. They say don't even consider it. But I didn't think diminished responsibility went to the question of whether he had the requisite intent. I thought insanity went to that, as they use those words. What is diminished responsibility? If it isn't, we admit the intent. We admit that he intended to kill the individual, knew it was wrong, but he isn't as responsible as an ordinary person would be. What is it if it isn't that? It's a fact that, that, a fact that he did not know he was killing a police officer. He thought he was killing another individual. Correct. Does the state have to, uh, does the Constitution have to let you off if, if that's the situation? It's not let you off. With all due respect, it's, it's judge somebody based on their culpability. All right. Does the state have to say, uh, we are going to convict you of a lesser offense in the The Constitution? The state has to allow the defendant to present his evidence and have it considered if it's relevant, non-privileged, and reliable for a proper purpose. And here it was offered for a proper purpose, just as in Chambers and in Rock and in all the cases that have been before this Court, where this Court has held so. I wanted to add, uh, answer one question that was raised earlier about whether a state could define murder without a requisite mens rea, essentially, which is, or a, or a specific intent, as the state seems to suggest that Arizona has done inferentially under the Mott decision. This Court held in 1895, in Davis v. United States, that no one, and I'm quoting here, no one, we assume, would wish either the courts or juries when trying a case of murder to disregard the humane principle existing at common law and recognized in all cases tending to support the charge below to make a complete crime cognizable by human laws, which includes mens rea and an actus rea. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.